Welcome, friends, to my lovely, crazy life. I'm your host, Amanda Preston. I'm a mom of eight talking about adoption, foster care, and special needs. Join me each week as we dive into the messy, fill up your cup, and refresh your soul. Hi, and welcome to today's episode, The Importance of Counseling. I'm so excited today. We're going to be interviewing Karen Peters, who is a registered counselor, to hopefully break down some of those myths, that stigma, that counseling is only for people who have reached the end of their ropes and are ready to die, or for people who think that I just can't cope with life anymore. The truth is, counseling is just like any other form of healthcare. It's something that you can do way before you get to the end of your rope. Of course, you can do it when you get to the end of the rope, but it's such a great preventative measure as well. A great way to just, uh, you know, feel less isolated and talk to someone about what, what's going on in your life. Today's episode is going to navigate some of that and the benefits of it. It's also going to talk about some of the realities of what parenting through adoption and foster care really is, particularly because special needs plays such a huge role. Many of our kids come from a complex history involving trauma, attachment issues, special needs, neglect and abuse, all sorts of things. And with that comes a lot of pressure, a lot of added behaviors. So we often see that adoptive and foster parents struggle with things like depression, PTSD, anxiety, and many other things. And people just don't know that that's normal. Or that they're not alone in feeling some of these things. So we're going to talk about that today and just how normal it is. Know that you're not crazy, that you're not alone, and that this is really common in the adoptive foster parent and special needs world. So I hope you appreciate what Karen has to share and how important counseling is. And if it's not available, then I do encourage you to just find someone in your area that you can talk to because talking to someone is such a huge step in navigating these feelings. So enjoy the episode. Hi, Karen. Thanks so much for being here today. It's great to be here. It's kind of fun. This is my first podcast interview, so... Oh, great. Well, that's amazing that it gets to be on this topic because I think it's so important. So why don't we just start today by you telling us a bit about yourself and how you are connected to the adoption, fostering, or special needs world? Sure. Okay. So I always find that when I get older, this is a difficult question to answer because I keep adding layers of who I am to this life. So I'll do my best to sum it up. But yeah, my name is Karen Peters and I am the youngest of six kids in an immigrant family. My parents moved here from Holland uh, before I was born. I grew up in the lower mainland of BC. Uh, I just have a big attachment to all things coastal. I did briefly attempt to flee uh, and go live independently in the prairies, and that nearly killed me. So I made it back to the shoreline. Um, where I like milder temperatures, even though it comes with the rain. I did my master's in counseling psychology out here and started my family out here as well. I would describe myself, I've always been sort of a helper, someone who like gets riled up about justice issues. So a bit of a justice seeker. And I don't think that has changed for me. I think maybe how I go about it has shifted, but I still feel like those are the things I'm passionate about in my adult years. I wouldn't say I'm an artist, but I do love being creative. So I do try and do some visual arts and some music and stuff in my in my life. I'm someone who feels pretty strongly that people should all have the opportunity to really speak their truth. So that's always drawn me to the counseling field. I just love grappling with just what it means to be in relationship to others. So I've been married for 14 years with my husband, Chris, and we've got two kids, uh, two daughters, nine and 12. 
which I'm still trying to wrap my head around how we got to nine and 12. I don't know. They were babies once. Our family was formed through adoption. Our stories, it's not maybe the most typical adoption story. We feel really privileged to have this arrangement, but both of our kids are adopted from families who wanted to stay open and connected. And so really the way we've lived that out has been that while we're not, you know, next door to each other, we adopted each other. So we've just expanded our family kind of like you would if you got married and you merge families and, you know, not one is head of the other. So that's been our experience with both our kids' birth families. Time's flown. Uh, Our oldest is going to high school. So that, you know, now defines me as almost a parent of a high schooler. And in terms of my relationship with adoption, that's, there's been layers of that too. Uh, Even like early childhood and into teen years, I remember um, adoptive kind of stories and experiences woven into our own family. So um, it was always kind of part of my life in some way, shape or form. And that's kind of me from a personal perspective. Uh, Professionally, I've worked with kids and families as a government employee um, with the Child and Youth Mental Health Program for about 20 years. So a lot of that is supporting kids in care, but it's also uh, just mental health challenges for young ones who are embedded in families in different formats across the province. And then I recently re-entered private practice, which is now the focus of my work. So I'm a registered clinical counsellor And I bring my background of children's mental health and my personal experience as an adoptive parent into my work. And I tend to see a lot of families who are fostering, have adopted, or who are supporting kids through trauma recovery, things like tough transitions or special needs. And I've recently been branching out into a new area of doing webinar and online courses because I've want to be able to reach families of all kinds. And I know it's not totally realistic for everybody to make it to a counselor's office. uh, And that doesn't necessarily mean they don't want help. So I'm just looking at that avenue too, to try and help uh, families in their own home learn about how to bolster their own mental health and their connections. That was long, but you know, that's who I am. (laughs) And I'm sure I'll add a few layers. So if you interview me in a year, I'll add another one there. No, that is great. Thank you so much. And I love the idea of you doing the webinars. Um, I think it's so hard for so many families through adoption and foster care to actually get out with the number one reason probably being childcare. <laughs> so I think that's yeah. an amazing something to create and develop and offer for families. So uh, people watch out for her. <laughs> Uh, So we're interviewing you today because you're a counselor, Uh, just such a needed topic to discuss in the adoption, foster care and special needs world. So my first question for you today is what are the top three reasons that adoptive or foster families typically come to see you? Yeah, so it's tough because families are so unique, right? So it really spreads across the gamut. But I would say like I can see some common threads of why that community in particular reaches out for counseling. And one of the top reason reasons I would say would be to help navigate the system of care. So this is particularly for the fostering community, but just more broadly people who have come in contact with what we can call the system, right? And so it's this big cog and you don't want to get stuck in the wheels, but you often feel like you do. So I do see quite a few families who have questions about the process and 
because I've had the inside experience of working in that system for so long, I, I get what's supposed to happen, but I also get what actually happens. So I feel like I have a bit of a unique added lens because I can help prepare and support people when they have questions, when they've hit a roadblock, for, for instance, or they want some advocacy or figure out, like, where do I go now if this is the feedback I've got? So it's kind of like going to a doctor, not feeling vaguely well, but not knowing what to ask. And so I just help people navigate that based on the experience that I've had. And, you know, like part of that is just how complex the nature of adoption and fostering is, right? So and we each come with our own expectations or inter- interpretations and the hopes that we have for how things will unfold, but rarely does it go that way. So just trying to wade through those messy waters can be complicated and honestly quite lonely. Not not a lot of people have a big circle of, of others that have walked that same road. So reaching out to somebody has, I think, been helpful for a lot of those families and just to get some support along the way. I think that's probably the number one reason in that, in that area. Another reason I would say families come for counseling is really to invest in the support of their child's unique needs, simply because there's no manual, right? So you can't pick up a book and say, this is exactly how I'm gonna chart things out for my kids. And often if you are fostering or adopting, you might have other kids in the family who have very different needs from those children. And so how do you navigate that? How do I parent two kids really differently? So trying to identify what your kids' complex needs are is a big focus. And then after that, learning, okay, now what do I do with that? Like, how do I meet those complex needs? And it often involves some advocacy for, like, on your part, um, when you are meeting with kids, like, in their own lived circumstances. So it could be a classroom, like, with teachers navigating that, how to best serve kids in the school system that don't maybe fit the the average pocket. It might be with your extended family. It might be in childcare settings or communities that they belong to, like group activities or lessons or whatever. Um, And understanding how to explain what your child's needs are in each setting can be really tricky. So they, sometimes families come, they just want to unpack, like, this is what I think my kid needs here, but I don't know how to articulate that or how to get those people on board or um, how to take those steps in a concrete, practical way. And they also just want to know how to realistically approach parenting with their kid when they've had a history of attachment disruption, for instance, or trauma. And then there's often another layer which could be seen as like learning difficulties that come as a result or big events in the kids' lives that they're trying to transition through. It can also be about how to support your kid through phases of questions that they have. Like, think about the adoption and the the family transitioning piece and how, like, us as adults don't know how to navigate that because it isn't in the kind of the natural order of things, right? It's tricky when big feelings come up and it happens in stages for kids. So when they have new awareness and new insight, they have new questions. And all I see is parents who are so, they come with their best intention. They want to nail it. They want to get it right. They want to support their kid, but they don't know how to go about it. And they want to kind of wade through that and figure it out. 
And that can happen like throughout the lifespan, right? So I often see families who are asking those questions. That's great. That's a bunch of um, awesome. Yeah. The, the other one that I think that is a common thread is around, it's the attachment building piece. So they've often read books, right? Where they've gone to talks or they know kind of the basics of what it should look like. And then the reality kind of smacks them in the face where they think, okay, well, I see all these behaviors. Am I doing something wrong as a parent because they're not like somehow responding to me? They don't seem to care about what I want as a parent. So does that mean there's something off in the attachment? And being able to visit that and actually see that actually most of the time, kids are resilient and they do bond again with a new person, particularly if they've had a good bond in the past, they can reform that with a new person. But we often misread those behaviors as troubled attachment rather than getting that there's another layer to this that has to do with your kid's mental health. Yeah. And that can block a parent's ability to respond in a way that demonstrates the solid bond because they question it. And so teasing those two things apart can be helpful in counseling as well. So I would say those are probably the top three. Mm, That's good. I know a lot of parents come with questions around the attachment piece. So thank you for that. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of parents have not quite stepped into the world of counseling yet. I think they don't understand or know how helpful it can be. So for those who haven't quite approached it yet, why is counseling important Mm -hmm. and what benefits does it have? Yeah. So that's hard to sum up. I see so many benefits. Trying to put it into words is kind of tricky. But here's a few things. Like, I really think this in particular offers offers some benefits to the adoptive and fostering families in particular. That's like a unique thing. But it's also in general, there's some of these threads that happen for, for other kinds of families as well. But as you and I know, and everybody else, you don't live in isolation. And rest, like relationships are, they're not always messy, but every relationship has a messy phase. And so when you hit those messy times, you want to be able to digest that, right? And figure out how do we change this dynamic? How do we navigate this phase that we're in? And when your kid connects with you after they've experienced loss, from being separated by somebody else, by another caregiver or somebody that they were meant to trust, it can be extra messy and super confusing. So the feelings are huge and like kids don't have the ability, A, to manage that, but even just to communicate it is tough. They don't have the language skills. So they depend on trusted adults to help them through those things. And yet we do a whole lot of guesswork as to what the behaviors that our kids have are actually communicating to us about what they're going through. So I just see counseling as being able to help both kids and the parents learn ways to understand and then process what feels really confusing and overwhelming and big to them. So like when we get locked into patterns with each other, part of the problem is it's tough to see, right? Like, If you're in the dynamic, it's hard to step out of that to see it objectively. So having another pair of eyes and ears and heart, a heart in the room that really wants to hear past what people are saying and look at the underlying dynamic can be really helpful in shifting that, right? We get feedback from people about, well, what if it's actually this? And when we get that lens, we can do our own shifting with it. 
base the basic premise really of counseling is that it's safe. It's meant to be a safe space to think and to feel and to talk things through. And then that gives you a new vantage point for what's going on. And then you can make changes if it's needed. Like there's, yeah, I could go on probably, but I think another, another really, I love my job and I see this out the play out with family. So it's like, yeah, I would encourage people to do it. The other benefit is that because no two families are the same, no two kids are the same. Parenting, again, there's no manual because it wouldn't work if there was one. Every situation is kind of like this custom tailoring process, which is really a daunting thing to do alone, uh, if you think about it. And even couples who are on the same page about how they want to parent, certain stage of kids' development can totally throw them for a loop. So then why try and figure it out on your own? Or like with other parents, they might reserve that because they're scared of being judged or, you know, we all have our different beliefs about parent parenting. And so there's a lot of judgment in parenting culture that can happen. So if you have a safe space to unpack that, that gives you the opportunity to have like someone suspend that judgment and just come alongside you and give you the support that you need to figure out for your unique family. One of the misnomers, I would say, is that counsel kind of come to be that thing that you like you, you wait, you wait, because it's not that bad, or you wait till like, something explodes. And then out of panic, you reach out for support. And there's certainly it's not like counseling can't help for those things. So it's not like it's too late ever. It's just that I, I think that's the, the stigma attached to it. And I find that really sad. Because if you think about what it actually is, there's nothing really that weird about it. It's not this huge, mysterious thing. It's just safe. And it's a place for you to be less guarded and for you to ask hard questions and really take the time to pace it well to find out what you need to know about moving forward. And, you know, the great news is that counselors are real people. So, you know, <laughs> there's lots of options for finding a good fit for you. You don't have to be stuck with one person. So if you don't click when you meet someone, there is nothing saying that, you know, counseling isn't helpful. It's that that person might not be your fit. So in general, it just helps to be able to have that safe place to digest it. So if you can find the right person that fits with that, then it's I think it's a great tool. Thank you. That's such an important reminder. So one of the big topics that I think is coming more into the light and more awareness is being spread about it is depression in adoption, foster care, and even special needs parenting. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, that is big. And it's in two kind of camps because I was asked to speak to this topic a few years ago. And instinctually, I was thinking, okay, like, they're asking me to talk about kids who experience depression and anxiety. Cause that was kind of my world. My world was helping kids navigate that at the time. And so I made that assumption and then I kind of re looked at the question they were asking, like, Whoa, they want me to talk about the topic of depression and anxiety in parenting adoptive and foster children. And then I realized, okay, this actually happens on both sides of the coin. So you've got, depression and anxiety experienced by the parents and the caregivers, and there's depression and anxiety experienced by the child. And 
both have obviously a huge impact on family dynamics and how you parent. So then I presented differently because I realized there's two sides and they're super important. Both of them are important. So if you just think about like parenting kids with special needs is just in and of itself really heavy and it's very involved. So these parents are usually the ones who rightfully need more breaks and more support, but ironically, they're less likely to get it than the average parent with average kids because the level of care required can kind of scare people off or they don't feel well equipped enough or they're worried about making the wrong move on, you know, on somebody else's child's behalf. And then it can come with like major boundaries or roadblocks. So you've got this situation in families where that can actually cause more of a depletion of resources than adding which you might not walk into it thinking, which can be really hard to accept. You know, even from a programming perspective, like public services and services in the community, it might then be about things like limits to funding or, you know, paperwork or red tape. We know that well, if you've ever fostered or adopted, you live under piles of paperwork and red tape. So it might be things like a lack of diagnosis or not knowing like you have to go through five doors to get to, you know, to the right building, um, which is really exhausting. And yeah, you might have like, again, to this personal effect, you might have assumed that people naturally would have come to you like grandparents or close friends or even hired babysitters. And then you realize what's actually required and the amount of preparation. And often people just pull away and go, you know what, it's just easier. I'll just stay home. And they don't get the recharge break that they need. And so it's not just lack, like the lack of time to breathe and regroup then, but it's also like this rupture that happens in relationships and families and communities because it feels personal to be pulled away from. Mm. So I just think about like all of that pressure contributes to feelings of like you're on your own you're isolated there's fatigue because it's this chronic buildup that never has this leak to it right to to let it go and then after that comes kind of this loss of hope which is one of the main features of feeling depressed is not being motivated and not being able to have hope that there's something better that I can kind of tie my rope to and pull me through so that's pretty big. Anxiety levels go up. Like if, uh, yeah. And, and it can cause a lot of tension in couples in their relationships. And we know that it's super important to be um, on the same page as parents. And that often becomes disruptive, right? And it's just that tension builds and then it becomes a problem there too. So it's a lot of stress to manage. And the other aspect on the parental depression side is the reality that Post-adoptive depression and anxiety is actually a real thing. And I think people write that off or they don't even know about it, but it presents super similar to postpartum illness and it really should be treated the same way. So just because you haven't birthed yourself does not mean you can't experience that. And it can actually last years if it isn't treated. So it's important to pay attention to that. Thank you. Um, That's uh, what we want people to know about because they get in this place where they just don't realize that it really is a thing. And I just feel like they can get so overwhelmed and not understand what's going on as they're experiencing yeah. these feelings. So it's important to put a name to it and let them know that they're not alone and other people are experiencing it too. 
Yeah. And half the treatment around that is being able to connect with people who understand it. Like if there is no outlet, that's the most dangerous. So it's important to talk it through. And can you share just a little bit about PTSD as well uh, in the caregivers? Yeah. So so from a caregiver perspective or from the kid's perspective? Um, both. Both is totally fine. Yeah. So just a little bit about maybe PTSD to start with, because trauma kind of has this overarching umbrella to it. PTSD is a very specific disorder, and it, it kind of sits under the bigger level of trauma. So a lot of our kids um, come from a place where there is a long history of kind of chronic trauma, which we would call either, you may have heard things like attachment trauma or developmental trauma. And that's more this longer lasting kind of unsafe environment that they've been exposed to. And it could be emotionally unsafe. It could be in utero, um, an unsafe environment there, high, high stress or unpredictability. That's different than PTSD. So PTSD is a specific kind of trauma that kind of happens when it's more around acute circumstances. So like if you're in an accident or you've experienced some kind of natural disaster or you've been assaulted in some way and you're not prepared for it or you don't feel prepared for it, that that locks in to part of the brain that kind of gets triggered later on. So when you've got PTSD, that's why people talk about things like nightmares or flashbacks that happen um, is because you're kind of reliving, your body is re-experiencing the fair anxiety that you had when that thing happened, but it keeps experiencing it based on smaller triggers that kind of remind the body and the brain that that happened to them. And then they have this overwhelming feeling that comes back up. So just even deciding that there's a difference between those types of trauma can help because then you know where to take it and what to do with it. I would say that that's the PTSD is not as uncommon. It's not uncommon and people might think it's rare or select population experiences it, but um, we're all actually at risk of that. If things jar us in a way that we don't feel in the moment prepared to handle. And so parents can experience that as well, just from interacting with the system or the behaviors of their children and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that can also be a cumulative trauma, right? Because if this is not you taking care of somebody and something bad happens in the presence of that child one time, this is over and over re-experiencing this need to be really hyper-vigilant and I've had that experience myself where you lose sight of reality to a certain degree because you're so on all the time. So you're always waiting, right? You're always preparing. You're always getting ready. You're always watching. And that hypervigilant state is not what we would say is healthy or normal, but we have to, it's necessary to keep our kids safe and to keep us safe sometimes. So that brings about this kind of like, we're all we're always ready for kind of quote unquote danger, right? And when you're living in that space, that feels very triggering. So definitely that's a thing for parents too. Thank you. Yeah, it can be so common, you know, even just special needs parenting taking away the adoptive and foster piece, but given that special needs are so uh, you know, 
just so prevalent in in adoption and foster care. It's something that a lot of parents struggle with. So yeah, absolutely. So those that are experiencing some of these things, what can people do if they're having feelings and and concerns around some of these topics? Hmm. Okay. Well, first off, I'm like. I wish I had like a bulletin board that I could hang outside my office. I just want parents to cut themselves some grace. Like I want that advertised out there because if you're struggling, there's a good reason for it. You're not making this up. So it's okay to just say that the struggle is a real thing and there's no parent parenting process that's perfect. So even when you're pouring all of yourself, like every bit that you've got, into your kids, you're still not going to be enough to erase all the hard things that they're bringing to the table. So when you do it all, and even maybe doing all the right things, it doesn't mean you're going to get the feedback from the kids immediately that this is working. And that can be daunting and frustrating, right? So that's the first message. I just want people to know, like, forgive yourself, Uh, have some grace, be patient with yourself, be kind, just be kind to yourself. Um, Another thing would be to connect with people who can listen to you and get where you're coming from. So if you're like me, kind of you get attuned as you grow up about who you go to for what, right? Kids are good at this. Like I know I'm going to go to dad for asking this question because I know he's going to give it to me. I'll go to mom for this because she's going to handle it this way. We learn pretty early on that relationships can kind of hold certain things. And so if you have a sense of who's like, who's the closest person that you think will, will be able, they don't have to live the same life as you by any stretch, but who has the space to kind of hold for you so that you can be heard by them um, about the hard things that you're going through. And Yeah. And to be specific for what you need, like don't expect people to read your mind. They can't guess what you need. So it's okay to ask. It's okay to say, this is how I'm feeling. And you know what would really help? And I don't know where I'm going to get it from, but I'm going to put this out there in case you know of somebody like, this is what I need. I can't cook this week. I just can't. I'm at my wit's end. This is the one thing I think I can pass to somebody else if they were to be okay with it, that would be it, right? So get specific. And if you want, like, if you want to include a counselor in your village of support, like look for someone who has experience working with kids and families, Um, someone who has a strong knowledge in attachment and trauma, for sure. And they don't need to be experts in adoption necessarily um, to be a strong support for struggles around behavioral and mental health stuff. So think more about the developmental needs of your child than necessarily it being about the adoptive component. Um, And if you're looking for guidance or support around the adoptive process itself, then it's more important that that become kind of the thing that drives you to to the right person there. There's a few, like if people are at a loss about like, where, where do I start? Where do I look for someone? There is a registration uh, organization in BC for therapists. So if you want to ensure that they've got the right training, that they've gone through the right um, education and measures to make sure that they do ethical practice, you can go to the Psychology Today site is one and the BC Association for Clinical Counselors website. Those are the two main ones I think that people do. 
um, rather than just Googling counseling, because you can call yourself a counselor and not actually be one. So that's a safety thing. And I assume there'd be those nations um, across the U.S. and Canada as well for them to look up? Yeah, so I don't have that off the top of my hat, but there there are. And there are registering bodies there by state, like there would be here by province. So if you're in the States listening to this, you would want to look up um, registered therapists and then um, see what that directs you to in your own state about the registering body. And they usually have provide you with like a search engine for finding somebody in your area. It's usually by location. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you so much, Karen. I think this is just a topic that more people need to know about. And if anything, just to know that, hey, it's okay to seek out counseling and to get more help. Yeah. Such a tough journey. Uh, and I think we can all as parents get more help <laughs> to uh, just navigate the water. So we really appreciate you coming on the show today and just sharing your insight and knowledge. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast this week. Be sure to tune in next week for more exciting episodes and learn more on adoption, foster care, and special needs. And be sure to check us out on social media, Instagram, My Lovely Crazy Life AP, and our website, mylovelycrazylife.com. And please share and help us spread the word of our new podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to chatting with you next week.